Morning. Morning to those of you watching online as well. I want to take just a minute, a half a minute, uh, to make an announcement update before we dive into the scriptures uh, this morning. A month ago, a little less than a month ago, I was here uh, at this uh, table this, on this platform, launched a mini campaign, uh, debt reduction and mission a partnerships campaign. If you know what I'm talking about, if you don't, it's okay. But we did that a month ago to raise a little over a million dollars and uh, to reduce debt and also to support some missionary partnerships. And the deadline of this mini campaign has to do with a number of things, uh, uh, but it has uh, in April, but we launched it in uh, the uh, 7th of January. And as of last week, we have just topped $1.1 million already. Yeah. So I don't know what to say. You're, you're not going to see it on my face because I've been absorbing it for a week. But uh, truly, I'm deeply moved, humbled, as is our elder board, our leaders, our staff, so overwhelmed with the generosity of members of this congregation. So thank you all. Of course, every dollar we get, all the way until April 7th, if you want to participate, we'll all go, every penny, uh, to this uh, debt reduction because we, we could do more. But it's, it's amazing. You're amazing. Thank you for your faithfulness and sacrifice. We are in Acts chapter 11, if you're following with us for the last uh, five weeks. And uh, this is uh, a series called New Community, looking at, you know, what is the church, what was the early church like, and what can we learn about being the early church, or be, to being the church, I should say, today? What can we learn from them? And we are back in Acts chapter, uh, the book of Acts today in chapter 11. In Acts chapter 11, you might say uh, we've reached the final frontier of a kind. The beginning of what I mean by the final frontier. Jesus gives this mission statement that starts the church, the resurrected Jesus. Very simple, very straightforward, very ambitious, but simple to say. I want you... Uh, uh, disciples to go into all the world begin right here in your backyard it's called Jerusalem then move on to Samaria which is not far away just sort of you know a day's walk Uh, uh, and then I want you to go from Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world he jumps from you know the uh, uh, half a a day's walk away to Samaria a lot of conflict between Jews and Samaritans and the Jews were the early Christians but then he goes all the way leaps he could have done you know Asia Europe you know uh, Central America but he goes the uttermost parts of the world. Jesus says, that's it. Well, here in Acts chapter 11, just a handful of years into this story, the church reaches a Gentile audience. It moves its center, we'll see this in a minute, from Jerusalem to uh, Asia, what modern-day Turkey. The leaders have new names in the church for the very first time. If we were in a service like this in Acts chapter 11, for the very first time, a percentage of the people, and if you do the math, maybe even a majority of the people didn't come from a Jewish background. It's a mind-blowing moment, and it's an important moment. The title of my message is called The First Christians. You'll see why as we read this passage, Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 26. Follow along as I read these words. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution 
that broke out when Stephen was killed. If you're a note taker, Acts chapter 8, he's sort of picking up after a couple chapters of interlude. The, break, the, the persecution on Jerusalem church scattered everybody everywhere. It seemed like it was a disaster, but it was right in God's plan as this passage helps us see. They broke out when Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia, which is the coastal plain, modern-day Syria and the Mediterranean Sea, Cyprus and Antioch, our new ground zero for the church, spreading the word only among Jews. Now, some of them, however... Men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch, this new city, and began to speak to Greeks also, that is, non-Jewish background people, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them. In other words, I approve, you know. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. The church is growing. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, the mother church, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done. He couldn't say anything but amen. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people, likely non-Jewish background people, were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. We heard about him last week now known as the Apostle Paul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So a whole, for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Imagine Paul, the teacher. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Apparently enough change had happened, enough development had happened, enough reforming had happened that Luke felt it was important under the inspiration of the Spirit to say, listen, this group of people needs a new name. They'd been called a, a sect of Judaism. They had been called the way, if you read carefully, uh, the New Testament, or excuse me, the book of Acts up to this point. But he said, now they need a new name. Now they're doing something different. There are new distinguishing marks for this group of people that now are not centered in Israel anymore. They're centered in West Asia. They're centered on the, on the verge of, uh, in basically, in Europe and I want them to know they have a new name and they have some new distinctives and I want you to know what they are which is I think the point of this passage number one the first Christians who are they they are a new humanity now where do I what, what a strange thing to say a new humanity but I get those words I didn't make them up. I borrowed them from Paul, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 16, when Paul is talking about the importance of this. We'll do this in a few minutes. He's talking about the central importance of what the cross of Jesus Christ did. We're still, we're still marveling at this whole thing called the cross of Jesus. Think about what it meant to them. They had no idea that a, the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, would come and not you know, uh, institute a new government, not reinstall David's monarchy, but he would die on a cross as it seemingly as criminals did. What in the world did this mean? But Paul says, listen, this was no mistake. This was no um, oops. This was not a plan B. This is why God sent his son into the world, but he did it. Ephesians 2.15, so that he could end all discrimination, all uh, a conflict between peoples of all different kinds. He did it to make a peace between Jews and Gentiles, but between all uh, factions of humanity. And he says this peace would result in a new humanity. Now that's very aspirational. We still 2,000 years ago, uh, since then, have a long way to go. But what he's saying is the purpose of the church 
was not just to, you know, to, to, to spit shine a group of people, not just to create a new group, a new religious group. It wasn't just to differentiate itself from, let's say, the Old Testament people of God. It was to create a new humanity that looks like Jesus. Why did God send his son into the world? Not just to die on the cross, not just to die for us, but to live for us. Jesus' life is a representation of what humanity was always meant to be and that he becomes the ultimate exemplar of what, who we are supposed to be and his death created a new humanity and you see it, maybe, on display in this story. Acts chapter 11. Now, Antioch, that's where we are, is very different from in almost every way it could be from Jerusalem. Quick map, quick story. You look at this map, the bottom right is Jerusalem. The top right or middle right is Antioch, Syrian Antioch. That's where we are. But we're not just, we're, we're, we're some distance in geography, but we're a lot of distance in so many other ways. Antioch was the seat of the provisional government of the, wait for it, Roman Empire. It was not only the third largest city in the Roman Empire behind Rome itself and behind Alexander Egypt. It was the third largest city in the world at this time. And this was not made up of a bunch of church-going, synagogue-going Jewish people. It was made up from people who had been repopulated from all over places where the Roman uh, 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 government, the Roman uh, military had conquered peoples. They brought them into this place. It was full of people who have all different kinds of backgrounds, all different points of view. Most of them, the overwhelming majority of them, were not Jewish and they were probably not religious and the churches last point about this slide all those churches in those white boxes that you see those names should be familiar to you if you know the New Testament Colossae Ephesus Corinth Thessalonica Philippi all those churches which are found in your New Testament were launched from ground zero not in Jerusalem but at Antioch and it's here they're first called Christians now let me say something about this passage we just read Please slow down when you read the Bible. There's so much here. This beautiful church launch of all these different kinds of people, of all these different kinds of backgrounds that eventually spawned churches that we're still talking about today that we just saw on that map would have never happened if it were not, verse 21, for the hand of the Lord, which is a Bible's way of saying God directly intervened to bring about a change that wouldn't have happened without him. Why do I say that? Verse 19. Those who'd been scattered by the persecution spread the word, so far so good. God wanted the word to go into all the world. Only among Jews. What? I don't understand. Why would the people who were part of the church of Jesus Christ, now some scholars would say between Acts 2 the resurrected Jesus, and Acts 11, about seven years have taken place. So for seven, seven years ago, all of these leaders, certainly the 12 apostles, but all the leaders that are part of the church, they would have heard the Jesus say these very important words. It's called the Great Commission. It's not that complicated. He said, listen, it's, it's, it's not complicated to understand. He said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take the gospel message that saved your soul, and I want you to take it, wait for it, to all, to the people of all nations of the world. Yes, begin in your backyard. And yes, then go into the challenging Samaria because you don't like these people. You haven't historically. But then I want you to go everywhere. 
He doesn't even bother naming the geographies. Go to the four corners of the earth. Fill in the blank. Syria, Antioch, China, America. Wasn't there yet. But anyway, the case is, go everywhere. That's what he said. And reach the people of all nations. This is the church. This is what it's always been about. Even back in uh, Genesis 12 when it was sort of pre-announced. Now, here's the interesting thing. They weren't doing that. They spread the word only among Jews. Now, one of two things happened here. Either these leaders misunderstood what Jesus said, you know, we, what we heard was go into all the world and reach the diaspora Jewish people who've been scared. Go everywhere and say, are you Jewish? Great, I want to share a message with you. Even though you've never been to Israel, you're, you're, you're a Cypriot Jew, you're a Roman Jew, you're an Asian Jew, you're a Chinese Jew, you're, you're an Ethiopian Jew, but I'm going to go to you. That's what I thought Jesus said. But it seems pretty clear, unless you uh, were challenged in many ways, that that's not what Jesus said. But that's what they were doing. Until a few guys, almost seems like an afterthought, however... There were a few guys from Cyprus and Cyrene, read not from Jerusalem, who decided to speak to Greeks also. Okay, now, why is this the case? There's only one explanation. It's the heart of this passage. It means a new humanity. Either they misunderstood the words of Jesus or they had a bias and a prejudice, in this case for ethnic Jews, they had a bias and a prejudice that was stronger in them than even the words of Jesus. And even though they were on mission, they were doing what they thought they were doing, out of their mouth came God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, they were only saying it to Jewish people. That ought to sober you. These are people that many of them heard the teachings of Jesus. Some of them certainly heard the teachings of the apostles. They had been the first recipients of the resurrected Jesus and the Holy Spirit of God, and yet they weren't doing it. I would say this to you, bias and prejudice of many kinds, we think of them in, small, in, in just one or two ways, continues to be a very powerful force in your life and in my life. And we don't pick up our biases, we don't pick up our prejudices from watching movies or reading uh, uh, magazines. We pick it up from our individual personal histories and from the curse of sin. And our individual personal histories and our, and our curse of sin do not change overnight. It's a long, slow, steady internalization of what I have in my hand right here where you and I have a deeper appreciation and a deeper appropriation of the love of God in Jesus Christ. It doesn't happen overnight and this passage ought to remind us of that. But the goal is a new humanity. There's only one way to overcome it and it's right here. A slow and steady diet of the work of Jesus. Tim Keller, a great quote. Christianity does not belong to one culture, but stands over all cultures. And it is the job, called here the hand of the Lord in verse 21, of the Holy Spirit to recreate, that's why it's called being born again, Christianity in the soil of every culture and every heart. Okay? It's a long process, but this is a vision of what the church is and still should be in our day and in your day. Quick story, illustrate this point. I was in Kosovo, you know, with a couple friends from here uh, just last week or the week uh, uh, before. 
This is a church plant, one of many we worked at. The guy to my immediate right, his name is um, Hilke. He's the pastor of this church in Jilan, which is a city in Kosovo. But the quick story has to do with the guy in the red coat, who you might not know from looking at the picture, but if you were, uh, let's say, an ethnic, a a Kosovar, you would know. He's Romani, often called Roma, sometimes called Gypsies. In the Roma people... Originally immigrated from, migrated from India probably a thousand years ago. And they're all over Europe. A lot of them are in, uh, in the Balkan Peninsula. Uh, uh, hundreds of thousands of them. But they're also called gypsies because they are kind of the lowest on the social class and almost don't fit really in any culture comfortably. They're sort of, you know, in every culture, especially in Europe, they're in America too, but they don't really fit in every culture. And there's old school um, uh, division and prejudice that goes back in, in every culture, including this one. Why is Fidel in this picture? Well, there's a lot of story, but what happens is this. Hilke, the pastor of this church, he met him and he noticed that a, a, a Fidel, just out on the street, maybe he came to, the, to grab something, a little piece of literature or something they were doing at this little church behind him in this picture, and he noticed he didn't have any teeth. Because I said to him, when I met him at dinner with this whole group of people, he said, he said, well, when I met Fidel, he goes, he had no teeth. And Hilke, like a lot of pastors in parts of the world, he's bivocational, he's a pastor of the church, he's also a dentist. And he said, hey... <laughs> Uh, he, not for nothing, he, married, he said, listen, can I help you? And uh, long story short, they figured it out. He did the work. He did it for free. He said, I'm not here to try. I just, that's, you know, I'm happy to do it. And, and the guy was so blown away, Hilke said, almost like he was, like someone healed him of his blindness. He was like, wow, he couldn't believe it. he had teeth. It was just an amazing thing. And he said, I'm going to come to your church on Sunday. And Hilke said, listen, Fadil, you don't need to come. <laughs> that's not the point of this. You don't have to come. I did, that's not the point. But he came anyway, and he became a believer over the course of some months. And then this Christmas, he, Hilke was so moved by this guy's story and he began to see the Roma community, a community he hadn't really seen. He, he knows about the Roma community, but he's sort of like hidden in plain sight. And he said, Hilke, maybe we could do something because you're, 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 you're a Roma. And so they organized this gathering, kind of like a VBS in a park, and they did it, and it was in 100 kids came out. Okay. And then he said, well, listen, what if we do this Christmas thing? Those of you know about the Christmas boxes, a Samaritan's Purse, for Christmas. This is two months ago. He said, we'll do a Christmas box. A hundred kids came out of it. He said, on the, on the night of this Christmas box thing, we'll have a church service. Now, their church has max, if you, everyone, I mean, packed, you'd have 50 people in there. And probably on, the, on Easter, they have 30. Small church, Muslim country. But he said, we'll invite the parents back. 50 people came. And this is what he said. The meeting ended with an invitation to repent from sins and believe in Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice and the only way to heaven. I asked all who wanted to pray and dedicate their lives to Jesus, not to religion, but to a person, and around 40 of them stood up. There were a few of them that seemed more rooted in Islam and they left the hall the moment we did the prayer, but soon afterwards they came back. He said, Rob, for me, Pastor Pilkey, it was the most important service we have ever conducted and clearly God's hand was upon everything. He didn't say these words, but he said, I saw the, the new humanity in this moment I saw it. Right? This guy's been at it since 2015. It's a great slow work as a lot of church plants are. He had more people in this one service than he'd had in 
It's eight years, okay, since he's been doing this, right? It's a new humanity, okay? God's breaking barriers that have been there. The older I get, the more I see glimpses of that new humanity, glimpses, free, free of my bias, free of my prejudice, in hints in me and hints in many of you. It's what the church is about. It's what it's supposed to be. And if we want to have more impact in this community, it's who we need to be, okay? I don't know who the Roma are of Rochester, but we need to do our homework. Number two, what does it mean? Why were they called Christians first in Antioch? Number one, the new humanity. Number two, they are highly committed to their faith, okay? I want this to be more than a history lesson. I want you to ask yourself where you are today as a follower of Jesus if you are one. What is Luke trying to tell us about the people who were called first Christians? What you see in this passage, two quick things. But I think the point is this. Growth in this church in Antioch is closely related to growth in spiritual maturity. They go together. You and I have to be committed to a deeper integration of the gospel if we ever really want to grow or reach people. Growth in spiritual, excuse me, growth in the churches can link to growth in spiritual maturity. Two quick things I just want to point out in this passage. They send Barnabas down. Now, why do they send Barnabas? This is the church in Jerusalem. They're the mother ship. Even though they're, they've, they've, they've been suffered from persecution, they're a lot smaller than they used to be, but the church overall is growing into Asia and now into Europe. And, but they're still, the, they're still the, the leaders. The 12 apostles are still alive. All, but, uh, all of them are at this point. One's about to die in chapter 12. But all of them are alive and they're still the leaders. And they decide, they hear the word. The church is growing greatly in, in, in Asia, in Antioch, in this Roman city, and all kinds of people that were not Jewish, they're kind of getting at Jesus' words. They're excited. They sent, Why do they send Barnabas? Well, because Barnabas is from Cyprus. They say, this guy will understand what's going on. It's a smart, strategic move. But they send him. What does Barnabas do? When he arrives, he sees what the grace of God has done. Whether, whether or not Barnabas had any prejudice in his heart, whether or not Barnabas really thought this was, matched his theology, he said, listen, what can I possibly say? He saw what God has done. He saw maybe hundreds of people, maybe more, who had received Jesus, who were excited, who were praising the Lord. And he says, what am I going to do? So I encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Okay? They were people that were very highly committed to their faith. Let me ask you something. Quick question, if you're a Christian in this room. Are there people in your life Okay? It's probably not me. I don't know most of you personally. Are there people in your life who know your struggles well enough and or your gifts well enough that they can challenge and encourage you to go to, to work through your struggles in Jesus' name or to start getting out and serving with your gifts? Because if they aren't, then it doesn't mean you're not a Christian, but he's saying you're not the kind of Christian that God wants you to be. They were called Christians first in Antioch, one, because they understood that their biggest enemy in moving forward was their own bias and prejudice, and we all got a long way to go. But number two, that if you really want to grow, you need to be true to the Lord with all your heart. You, you, we, we don't grow naturally. To be a Christian is, the, is a new life inside of you. But the day you become a Christian, the old life, the old sin, the old curses, they didn't all go away. 
the, the greatest point of the Christian life, of, of reading the word of God, of having a prayer life, of being an accountable community, of getting into, of knowing your doctrine, etc., is that your heart might change. You have to work at it. Second thing he does, think about Barnabas. He sees this new community. These are people that have no background. They don't know the Old Testament. They're not Jewish background. They don't just need some fine-tuning. They don't know zip. So what does Barnabas do? He goes to Tarsus, the hometown in modern-day Turkey where the Apostle Paul lived, and says, I'm going to get the smartest guy I know, the guy who's, who's literally the 13th apostle, who ends up, he may not have known it then, writing a third of the New Testament. I'm going to get him. And he comes in for a year. Can you imagine? I don't know who your favorite writer or thinker or theologian is, but find out, put that person in your mind, I'm going to say, and I announced this morning, ladies and gentlemen, so-and-so is going to come to our church for a year. And for five nights a week, he's going to teach you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Some of you be, that's awesome. How about the, uh, the guy who wrote a third of the New Testament? How about the guy who, well, he was probably teaching in Antioch, you know, at, at 10, 12 in the, uh, in the morning, uh, at noon, maybe at night he sat down. You know what he did at night? He didn't watch Netflix. What he did? He wrote the book of Romans. He wrote the book of Ephesians. This is the guy who's teaching people, right? If, if you really want to know what it means to be a Christian in this world, you've got to be highly committed to your faith, can't be casual about it. There's a book that was written. I think I mentioned it before. It's called The Great Dechurching. It was written in, uh, it just was published, I think, in the early part of 2023. Three guys, uh, 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 pastors, thinkers, writers, I think of the Gospel Coalition, published it. And they did this massive survey. And you may have heard this from other sources, but they said in the 20 years, the, the 20th century, from 2000 to 2020 is when they stopped this survey, they said between 15 and, I'm sorry, 25 and 40 million people between 2020, excuse me, 2000 and 2020, between 25 and 40 million people have left the church of Jesus Christ, right, for various reasons, secularism, etc. And the whole survey was about why did they leave? Not people that are out there, do you ever want to come to church? People that used to do what you're doing today, maybe for years, and stopped doing it. And they have four categories in this book. And they're in, in, they're in, 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 you know, in a descending order. The top category is what they call cultural Christians. And, and cultural Christians represent 52% of the cohort. About 8 million people uh, represent, were called cultural Christians. And then they list out the reasons. What does it mean? Why do they call them cultural Christians? What were the things they discovered? And the first category in this subcategory of cultural Christians was doctrine. They said, they asked people, what do they know about their faith? And what they used for this brief study to, 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 to the questions that in the survey was what we call the Nicene Creed. Some of you know it. And the Nicene Creed, famous, goes back to the, I think, the third or fourth century, this famous summary of core Christian doctrine. It's straightforward. Some of you may have recited it as a kid. You know, we believe in Jesus, in his death, in his resurrection. He was both fully God and he was fully man. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the church. We believe in the, in the word of God. It's these basic, and they said, these are the most basic fundamental things. And as they asked people what they believed about these things, the answers were all over the map, right? All over the map. 
Only 22% of the people that took the survey said they believed that the Bible was the authoritative word of God. I mean, where are you going? What else you got? Only 53% of them said they believed in a literal heaven, that heaven when, there's a thing called heaven. 40% of them believed in a thing, actual thing called hell. Now, how do we get there? These were people that were in church, that grew up in church, the great dechurching. It's because people don't understand their faith. Quick story. Another, I just want to show you some of these pictures, excuse to do it. But this is another pastor. I met him actually two years ago. He pastors another uh, church in a town called Jacoba. His name is Matush. His wife's name is Nora. So we had dinner with them the last day we were there. So we didn't go to his town this time. But I said, Matush, what's new? How's life? He said, good. And his church is humble, like they all are, house churches, 20, 30 people. But I said, he, he told me about this one guy. It's like the thing that was exciting. He said, well, this one guy, I forgot his name because I didn't meet him. And he said, you know, he, uh, just this last year, 2023, he's, he's joined our church and he was just laughing. You know, he's like, you know, he's, he's the first one there. He comes, he's, 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 he wants to turn the heat on when we meet on Sunday. And he comes to the, the X class and the Y class and he's, 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 he's ripping through his Bible. He's super excited. I go, Matus, that's wonderful. I said, you know, um, how did he come to, to faith? What's his story? He said, well, it's an interesting story. He said, he came to me and he said, Matush, I don't know if you remember me, but you shared with me, they're not living in the same town. He said, you shared this message with me, the message is nine years ago. And he said, nine years ago, which is about when Matush started his little house church in Jacoba. He said, when you shared this message with me, he said, I, I believed it right then. I was a believer then, in so many words. I, 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 was, I was ready for it. I, I was open to it. I believed it. But he said, I never came back because what Matush would say is the fear of man. It's a Muslim country. He said, I, was, I believed the message, but I wasn't ready to commit my life to the things of God. And he said, I finally, after nine years, I'm ready to do that. And part of the reason I'm so excited, the part of the reason I can't wait till Sunday kind of thing is because I have a deep regret for the nine years that I lost and that I will never get back. Okay? That's some of us. Okay? Whether some of, some of us, that is to say, we're not even going to church anymore, the great de-churching. Some of us are here, but are we taking, are we, do we have, are we highly committed to our faith? That's why we do Rooted, by the way. Have you done it? That's why we do the gathering. We had uh, um, 80 couples here uh, Thursday night. If you missed it, join it. What are the implications of marriage if you're a Christian? Do you know you're working out the implications of the gospel? That's why we do CR uh, every Tuesday night. It's a, it's a discipleship ministry. Okay? That's why we do mentoring men and women. You need to get involved. Right? What does it mean? They were called Christians first in Antioch. Number one, they understood to be a Christian is not a new set of clothes. It's not a new set of ideas. It's a new humanity. You don't change overnight. I wish we did. I've been a Christian for, oh my goodness, close to 40 years, and I got a ways to go. So do you. And the only way to get there is right here. It's a deeper internalization, a deeper understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, that's the only way to get there. They were highly committed to their faith. Are you, am I? Lastly, they are, who are the new Christians, the first Christians? They're compassionate and generous. Okay, this ought to change not just your thinking, it ought to change the way you live. Verse 27. During this time, 
end of this passage. Prophets came down from Jerusalem. Is Jerusalem still important? To Antioch, the new center of the church. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit, okay, it's from God, predicted a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. Okay? This happened during the reign of Claudius. Okay? COVID-19 is coming. You know, they got a heads up. Okay? The disciples, now watch this, so, so interesting. The details matter when you read the Bible. The disciples, now who does the disciples mean now? I'm not talking about the 12. Those people are in Jerusalem. He's taught, most of these, the, the disciples are the new believers. Verse 24 and verse 21. There are a bunch of people that just became Christians, but when you're, in this day, they didn't have all these categories. You became a Christian, you were a disciple, which means you're an apprentice, which means you're a learner, which means you sit down and study the word of God. Okay? So their disciples, they decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters, wait for it, living in Judea. You say, Rob, what difference does that make? A world of difference. We, if you've been in this study with us for the last few months, we've talked about one of the distinguishing marks of the early church was its sacrificial giving to meet needs. Clothes, food, property was sold and money was given. We talked about this. It was because people began to live in counterintuitive ways, in unselfish ways, and they began to give and serve out of their own resources. They didn't go to some, they didn't have to be told by the church. They didn't send it through some, some um, processing. They just saw the need and they met the need. And he's saying this was also true. He's trying to maybe say in a way, what happened in Jerusalem happened here. It's validating the experience of these people who no one would have validated earlier because they weren't Jews, if I'm making sense, if you're, if you're tracking with me. He's trying to say, listen, these people who received Jesus Christ as their Savior, although they're from all over the back, all over the world, they're from every different part of the world in the Roman Empire, they're in the third largest city in the world, and they have all kinds of broken and crazy ideas, but they've come to know Jesus as their Savior. They're disciples too, and they're demonstrating it by exercising this kind of generosity. But here's the kicker. They're now, now it's the Gentiles, right? The dogs, it's another word used in the New Testament for Gentiles in the, in the Gospels. These people who the Jewish background people wouldn't have given so much the time of day, now they are giving and sacrificing to the churches in Judea. They're giving to people. They're now the givers meeting the needs of the people who once wanted nothing to do with them. And that's a demonstration of what the gospel of Jesus Christ can do and should do in your life. So here's the question. They were called, the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. How are you doing? How am I doing? How are we doing? I'm not asking you if you're gonna go to heaven when you die. I hope you are. All that takes is simple faith in Jesus. Amen and amen. But I'm saying, how are you doing living out the Christian life? How are we doing? Do people in my little community, whoever my community is, do they see a difference in my quality of life? Do they see me living out a new humanity? In other words, am I going further today than I was five years ago, past my biases, past my prejudices, past my hang-ups, to love people who I didn't used to love? Number two, am I somebody who takes this seriously? Jesus isn't something that fits into my life. He's the center of my life, okay? And, and I... I, I I'm, I'm growing in my understanding. I'm deepening in my understanding. Is doctrine important? Of course it's important. Of course it's important. Not as a means to end, not to show you how smart you are. Get over that straw man hang up. 
Rob, we'd be more into that, but I grew up in a church that, you know, we were just all full of this and full of that, and everyone was so smart. Well, guess what? That was a mistake. Get over it and get in the game, okay, of studying the Word of God and becoming a serious Christian because it's the only way you're going to change. And these people took the Word of God seriously, took the spiritual discipline seriously, and they weren't a bunch of uh, full-of-themselves, heady, um, self-righteous people. They were people that exercised a quality of love that was mind-blowing. They poured out from their pockets. They sold some of their stuff, and they served the churches in Judea, people that they despised. The, the, let's say, in their case, the, 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 the Roma Okay, in a manner of speaking. The Roma took charge and they were the ones that were loving uh, the church in Jerusalem. And God says, do you get it? This is what it means to be a Christian. So I want us to think about that as we share in this table here. Let me say this. This is not my line, but it's such a good line, I'm gonna use it. The deepest revelation of the nature of God is the cross. I read this the other day and I, I, I've been thinking about it since then. The deepest revelation of the nature of God is the cross. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say the deepest revelation of the love of God. Because that's what I always thought. And I think that's still true. That the cross demonstrates how much God loves you and loves me and loves all humanity that he sent his son to die for us. So we'd say, I'm only a Christian today because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took a bullet for me. He died for me, and he sacrificed his life for me. All of us that have been in church for any length of time, we'd say, that's what it is. The deepest revelation of the love of God is the cross. But that's not what the statement says. There's a theological point here that's different. I'm not saying to you the deepest revelation of God, or excuse me, of the love of God is the cross. I'm saying the deepest revelation of the nature of God is the cross. So that when you think about the cross, yes, you should be reminded of what God did for you, but you should also be reminded of who God is. That's what will change your life. When you realize that God is the cross, the love demonstrated in the cross is God opening up his chest saying, this is who I am. Okay? That's what John meant when he said, God is love. Not God loves, he is love. And my challenge to us in this moment, as we think about this, is take just a minute in your prayer time and do two things. One, go ahead and, and, and take a moment to thank God for, if you're a Christian in this room, thank God for what he's done for you. Just like Nina was saying, you know, a while ago, you know, bless God, okay? Thank him. Say, God, thank you. I just want to take a moment. Thank you again, if I haven't said it in a while, for what you did for me in Jesus. But also take a minute and think about what it means that this is the revelation of the nature of who God is. And say, God, help me to understand. Help me to open my life to know you and to experience you as the cross in a deeper way. Because the more you can internalize that, the more I can internalize that, that this is the God that I am in a deep relationship with, my Lord, my Savior, my God, this is who he is, that will begin to transform your life in ways that nothing else can. Amen? All right, take just a minute, private prayer, and we'll take this 
together in a minute. On the night he was betrayed, the Last Supper, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he shared it with his uh, disciples and he said, this bread represents my body which will be broken for you. Let's eat together. Peel that foil off top of your cup. When supper was ended, he took the cup of wine at the table and he gave it new meaning. And he said, this cup represents the new covenant. Say, without the new covenant, there could be no new humanity. It represents the new covenant. If you go back into the Old Testament, the new covenant is where he says, God's going to give you a new heart. He's going to start from the inside, right? No longer will you have a heart of flesh, a heart of stone, but you'll have a new heart, a new heart. And everyone will know the forgiveness of sin. Paraphrase of Jeremiah 31. This is a new covenant in my blood. Let's drink together. If you're newish to, to Browncroft, we do this table communion every first Sunday of the month. That's what we're doing right now. Take time to do it as a congregation. And we also have a mercy offering. And you might say, well, what's that? It's not what we did an hour ago or, or 45 minutes ago or whatever it was. It's not another opportunity to take meet our expenses the mercy offering is 100 percent 100 pennies on the dollar goes to people in acute need right like the third point and they come in different sizes and shapes and people have various and sundry needs on the edges of this congregation sometimes even outside of it we use the money if you want to participate in that you can do it uh, this morning let us pray God and Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of knowing uh, you as Lord and Savior. I, I, I have nothing to point to except this cup, you know, except the, the love of God in Christ Jesus. I thank you so much for all you've done for me and for us in this room uh, who know you as Savior and Lord.
And God, I pray for us as a congregation. Start with me, but I pray for all of us that you would do a deepened work. Help us, Lord, to take this gospel deeper where it needs to go in our minds, our hearts, our lives, our relationships, that we might begin more, a little more, to experience the new humanity, to be more like the Lord Jesus in our lives. Help us, Lord, to be more fully committed to our faith, to get hungry and devoted and um, to get after it in our growth. And help us, Lord, as individuals and as a congregation to be more um, like you want us to be, people that aren't out to get but to give, that we might help the, the, the people of this, whoever the Roma are, whoever the uh, disenfranchised are, whoever the um, people, whatever they look like, whatever their backstory is, uh, whatever kind of car they drive or don't drive, who are in this community, who are far from God today, may we, Lord, be Christians in the truest sense that we might be used of you to help people meet Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen.